0: Welcome to the 208th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Stuart Horowitz, the author of Book Architecture, How to Plot and Outline Without Using a Formula. Stay tuned for the interview. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Stuart Horowitz author of Book Architecture, How to Plot and Outline Without Using a Formula. Stuart, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff. Great to be here.
0: Great. Well, first, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? What's your background and how did you come to write book architecture?
1: Sure. Well, I've been an independent editor for 15 years. And before that, I studied uh, literary aesthetics, which I guess is like the science of art. Uh, in graduate school. I don't know that I knew how all this was going to come together. Uh, I've taught classes in plot and structure. And then I guess I just got old enough (laughs) (laughs) Uh, where I just, you know, uh, uh, this method crystallized. Um, And so that started with my first book, which came out in 2013 blueprint, your bestseller. And then this is in some ways, the continuation of that work. Um, but there's only going to be two books on writing. So this is it. Okay.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> well, well, in your career as a book doctor and an independent editor, I, I wondered, did did you oftentimes see common problems that came up over and over again in the manuscripts that you worked on and edited?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that is that's really where uh, the method came from. I mean, the the first thing I guess I would say is that um there's an initial draft in which things uh, proliferate, right? So we like to use a whole bunch of characters, a whole bunch of settings, a whole bunch of symbols, and that's great for the first draft. Uh, But what I've noticed, you know, most consistently is that um, writers don't harness the power of what they've started. They sort of keep adding in new flashy things. And so as a result, we don't really have the narrative drive or the unity that comes when we, take some of those things out and focus on the best of what we have.
0: Great. Well, I know that the book architecture method uses three main concepts, scene, series, and theme. And I wondered if you could briefly explain scene, series, and theme.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, well, You know, I think series was the breakthrough concept, if I may, without that sounding immodest. At least that's what my readers have said. Uh, And this series is different than, um, you know, the set of books in the same genre that have some of the same characters. It's not that series. It's basically those narrative elements that repeat and vary throughout a work. So like we were just saying, you know, um, symbols, settings, characters, characters working with these, uh, each of these elements as they repeat and vary and getting them to interact, intersect, come together, that's really how you build a world. Uh, so series is you know, where I put most of my attention because to me that is really where structure develops. Um, now that said, scene is where you know, things happen and theme is the one thing that your book is about. Because your book can only be about one thing. So sometimes I visualize that as a pyramid where scene is sort of on the ground, series is in the middle tier connecting all of your scenes to the top tier, which is your theme, the one thing your book is about. And, you know, I guess one of the other, going back to your earlier question, one of the other things that I've noticed the most over the last 15 years is that people have things in their book that don't relate to their theme. Uh, It could be that they're not entirely clear what their theme is. It could be that they just really love those things. So they have a hard time parting with them. But I guess that's, you know, like when William Faulkner said, kill all your darlings. I think he meant, you know, kill all your scenes and your series that don't relate to your theme.
0: Gotcha. Well, I wonder if you could take a popular movie or book and explain how series is central to that story.
1: Sure. Uh, So book architecture uses seven different examples, and each one of those is either a film or a children's short story or a classic novella, classic novel. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to use examples if people haven't read or seen the movie. So one of the things that I think works in the book, or I hope works in the book, is that you have an opportunity to find out enough about the book uh, or the movie in the context of reading the chapter that you don't have to, you don't have to have already read it. So without that now though, I guess maybe one of the most popular or common examples would be, you know, the great Gatsby where um, you know, he's you always using this expression old sport. And so as a series, this phrase old sport repeats and varies at first. It, it you know, it repeats and we think oh he's gatsby's from money right and that's where he picked up this expression uh, as it goes on and he interacts with tom daisy's husband who really does come from old money you know tom kind of calls him out on this old sport like where does where does that come from where did you pick that up anyhow i believe is the quote and then in that climactic scene where they're fighting over daisy's love you know, Tom gets very upset. It's like, will you please stop calling me old sport? Like, it's sort of like, you know, it's just a phrase. Mm. But because it's a series that's repeated and varied, it actually takes on all the significance of the new money clashing with the old money. And, um, you know, when you, when you look into works, you find these series sort of like hidden codes in all of these different... uh Everything from a stand-up comic to you know War and Peace—it's pretty amazing.
0: That's great. Well, if someone listening to this podcast and is an aspiring writer and they feel that they're getting somewhat close with their with their work, but it's still not quite there in terms of impact and narrative thrust. Um obviously I mean I, I know it's difficult to to do to make generalizations but but I wondered if you have any overarching advice for how that writer could improve the novel or short story or things that they should consider in the revision process.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, for one thing, I think working with readers or editors is a very strong move. And when we have these readers who we call beta readers, um, they could be people in your writing group uh you could even involve your friends and family provided that you know you sort of read them the riot act first and you say you know i don't want you to tell me that you love it and i don't want you to tell me i guess i'm just not your audience which is code for i hate it right uh <laughs> you know you have to you have to give me some real specific feedback and that helps by putting together a questionnaire for your readers so in the appendix of my first book i have a guide for beta readers uh but basically you know it's just How specific what specific questions can you ask them so that you can get uh, answers that are really impactful and then you can figure out what resonates with you? Because writing is an act of communication. And I think that a lot of times people don't involve other readers uh, at the right juncture or in the right way. So sometimes people involve readers, in my opinion, way too early. Right. I just wrote the first scene of my new novel and they give it to 10 people and, you know, uh, bad things can happen. Right. I mean, somebody can say the wrong thing. It can you can either put it away or go in a direction that you weren't expecting. So I would not recommend really showing the first draft or the a big chunk of the first draft to anyone. Uh, but after that first draft is complete, I think that's when starting to interact with the people in a constructive way can really Keep the creative juices flowing,
0: and and what are you looking for from beta readers? Uh, are you looking for maybe points in the novel where they kind of bailed out, or where they were bored, um, or is it just a range of of, of questions?
1: No, you're you're exactly on the right track. I mean, really, any and you know, um, which three characters were your most favorite, and why? And you might hear. Uh, that this character, a reminds somebody of something and, you know, you get another window into how that character is impacting someone. Uh, what point in the book did you find your attention wandered the most? Or if you weren't completing this exercise or we weren't sort of bartering a beta read for a beta read, would you might even consider putting it away? Um, you know, uh, what was the ending satisfying? Were there, uh, questions or plot holes that you feel were, were not wrapped up? Um, so, you know, I mean, you don't want to ask them 20 questions because depending on the, the nature of the barter relationship, you may not have that much of their bandwidth, but you know, seven to 10 questions. And then it's a challenge when you get the answers because sometimes, you know, people will challenge you, which is, really the goal of the exercise and And you know, some, somebody will say something and it'll like sink in and that doesn't always feel good. Right. Cause you're like, Oh yes, I knew that was a problem. And now that's a lot of work and I don't know how to tackle it. <laughs> and you know, before you get to all that, like the feeling that it, that is sinking in, that's a good feeling. And that's different than the feeling where somebody says something and it like it doesn't ring any bells, you know? And then that's when you have to say, okay, I'm the writer. I'm in charge. That really, frankly, doesn't ring any bells. So I'm actually not going to do that. Like you don't have to revise everything that a beta reader points out. Sure. Uh, so that's 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 a, that's a little challenge.
0: Yeah. So so I know that for for many many years there's been a huge emphasis, in, especially in screenwriting specifically, about the whole idea of the three act structure. Um, I wonder what you think about that, and how does that fit into your idea of your your book architecture um uh process
1: yeah no it's a great question jeff i mean i think that so the subtitle is how to plot an outline without using a formula and it's a little tongue-in-cheek because i put the formula itself on i think it's page five six page six of the new book you know just in case you've never seen it it's uh At 5%, you have to have the opening incident, right? A disturbance which hooks. And at 25%, it's the point of no return, where the choice has been made. And, you know, there are sort of these um, tried and true, one might say formulaic, ways of building a conventional plot structure. Um, Frankly, I have mixed feelings about this formula. I mean, on the one hand, a lot of great books have been written with the formula, but a lot of great books haven't. And I think the way I really feel about it is that in the first draft, I recommend that people, you know, pants, right? They write by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. They follow their imagination. They let they generate words. They don't worry about over organizing things. And that at the end of the first draft, they use some tools, uh, my tools, somebody else's tools, a combination, you know, whatever feels authentic to figure out what they're working with. And then at that point, they might look at some traditional plot structures, whether it's the three-act structure or the five-act structure or or this formula. But I think if you start with the formula, then you're sort of just filling in the boxes, right? And then you're like, oh, at 50%, I need a midpoint where the hero takes control of his or her destiny. And when 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 you're just filling in the boxes, it it's usually kind of feels a little empty or a little blank. Uh, so I think that you know, long story short, there's a place for some of these narrative structures or learning them, but I wouldn't start there.
0: Sure, sure. Um, of course, I don't have the article in front of me, but I, I kind of smiled recently when I uh, – there was a, an article online and, and the headline was something along the lines – it was it was an article about the, the new Mad Max movie and it was basically mm-hmm. how um, – how good the movie was, but how it also kind of called into question the whole three act structure <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, of of the typical you know Hollywood movie. Um, which in a good, in yeah. a good way, in a good way, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I think it's
1: the deviations and the variations that really make people um, sit up and take notice. You know, at the same time. Frankly, I think that our psyche might be set up to receive narrative in a certain way. Like, I'm not saying throw it all out, right? Aristotle was talking about the three act structure, probably for a reason, you know, and that that is sort of how we achieve our catharsis, how we experience fear and pity. And uh, so, I mean, it's serious stuff, Uh, but figuring out how you're working with it, there's no shortcutting that. And that is, I think, when things really start, all the bells and whistles start going off. When you figure out how you're working with the way we receive narrative, yeah, that gets really exciting.
0: Sure, sure. Well, well, given your extensive career working as an editor and, and book doctor, is it possible for you to read for pleasure at this point? That's a great question, too, Jeff. I do not
1: really read for pleasure. I play bad acoustic guitar and I garden. Um, no, I'm actually, I'm always very grateful for my clients who are working very hard and evolving their books to the point where um, many of them get published. Some of them don't. Obviously, there's no sort of, you know, um, magic formula to so use that phrase again. But sure. um but when my client's work is so good that I feel like I'm reading something as good as something I would have purchased from a bookstore, mm-hmm. then I feel like I'm very grateful. Because, yeah, no, I don't – it's kind of enough words. In fact, I don't even listen to music with words. That's a running joke in my family. Like my daughters get in the car and they're like, jazz again. And I'm yeah. like, I just don't – know words. No more words. Yeah,
0: yeah. So so can you talk about some of your clients that have, have gone on to, to publishing success?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I helped the novelist Elizabeth Flock, who is a New York Times bestselling novelist. We worked together on her first book, which launched her career. And then, um, you know, she kind of said, I, I feel like I got it. I got the book architecture method, and I'm all good. And that made me feel happy, right? She's gone on. And then she came back to me with her fourth book because she was like, I think I need a refresher course. So, you know, it was like, I felt, I felt good about that because I hadn't sort of tied. I, don't, I didn't tying anybody down to like, you know, you, you must submit to the guru. Right. But at the same time, when I'm needed, I'm there. Uh, sure. But I also do a lot of work in nonfiction and uh, I guess I could talk about it now. Uh, so there was a book on, um, the Brothers Bolger, which also hit the New York Times bestseller list in nonfiction. And uh, I was actually in the field. Um, we set up sort of a uh, clandestine uh, oral history project. And I was interviewing people who were involved in those events without them knowing exactly what we were doing with the information. It was all legit, you know, people signed mm-hmm. things. and But so that was like undercover book doctor work. Uh, which is a little scary actually, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, I, uh, but frankly, I guess I've, um, as far as my genres go, I got advice early in my career that I should specialize. Mm-hmm. Um, I just worked on a leadership book and it had some good success and people said, well, uh, you know, if you specialize in business, um, you know, you can make more money, you can get your name out there fa- faster, further. And I, um, I said, you know, I don't really want to do that because each of these projects is like a mini college class in a way. And, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm just in the business field now, that means I can't work on fine arts or I can't work on psychology or I can't work on cooking or I can't work on health or I can't work on all those things that I'm actually interested in. Sure. And, you know, so I guess it goes back to what you were saying about not reading for pleasure. So I want to work on books that, you know, I'm interested in that are things that I would be reading uh, and then I can bring kind of an authentic beta reader or independent editor experience because I'm actually, you know, invested.
0: Sure. And with the, with the way that that uh, traditional book publishing is, is working today um, uh, in terms of uh, independent editors versus in-house editorial, um, do you find that you have, Plenty of work. <laughs> uh,
1: that's a great question. Yeah. 15 years ago, uh, independent editors, we were like ambulance chasers, right? Uh, you know, like no, you know, people really didn't want to hear from us. Uh, agents kind of looked down on us and I chose to be an independent editor because I, I didn't want to work for a publishing house. It didn't fit my personality type, you know? Um, it didn't fit the lifestyle that my family, my wife was, uh, getting her doctorate in psychology at the time. And, mm-hmm. I was doing 65% of the childcare for our first daughter. I mean, without getting too much, you know, I mean, it just wasn't right for me. Right. Uh, it was right for me to be independent. And, but over the last 15 years, we have emerged, independent editors have emerged into a completely different place. Uh, like now the agents are all coming up to me at conferences, right? Like what, <laughs> you know, what do you have? What are you working on? What's good? You know, <laughs> we get calls from the traditional publishers, uh, quite frequently, who say, "Can you take over the editing of this project? Because the editor who was on it, their bandwidth is too small, mm-hmm. or they left to go somewhere else, or so it really has shifted, um, and we've been, you know, legitimized to the point where I guess we don't, we're not really even called book doctors anymore. Now mm-hmm. we're called independent editors, which is yeah. really nice. That's great. Um, yeah."
0: So, so do, do most of your clients find you, um, prior to the publication process or is it a mix? I mean, you just, you just mentioned publishers contacting you to help out with the editing process. (laughs) That's
1: a funny question because we actually just, um, so uh, it's a firm of independent editors. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we have, um, it's between three and seven, depending on how you count. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, we, we just did this initiative. We said, okay, we're going to find out where our referrals come from. So we, you know, just once and for all, and we're like, okay, so we have our previous clients, we have our literary agents, we have, um, you know, the marketing and promotion we do, you know, we sort of like set up this wheel of the eight major categories. And then we took whatever the hundred top clients from the past period of years. And it was actually completely evenly distributed. And uh, and at first I was like, oh, we really didn't learn anything, you know, but uh, actually I think we did learn something, which is you really don't know where they're going to come from. Um, But the the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think that sometimes when you're working with beta readers as a writer, it's the same kind of experience. You could ask a great question on your questionnaire and you could get one person who says one thing very surely and the other person who says the opposite thing. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe I didn't learn anything. But that's where I think you got to use your intuition and say, yeah, but actually when this person said it, that's what rang the bell inside me. Even if it was kind of a yucky bell, like I knew that I had to work on that. That's where you're trying to follow the intuition.
0: Right, right. Well, um, where can people, if they're listening to this, if they want to find out more about you and then obviously more about uh, your book, book architecture, where can they find you online?
1: Yep, yeah, So it's bookarchitecture.com. And, um, it's funny that the book is called book architecture because we had all these other names for it, you know, like how you try to think of titles. And finally we're like, I think we, I think it's just our self-titled second album here. You know, it's just everybody like, it's just the Beatles, just book architecture. Uh, but I felt good because the other day we got the, uh, the official patent not patent service mark trademark right. for book architecture came in from the US government with the gold seal and all that so i was like <laughs> all right so it's a fi- i've been using it for 15 years but uh, it's officially ours and so yeah so bookarchitecture.com and uh, my email address my phone number is there and i encourage people to get in touch with me with either if they've read the book and they have questions or we do do free consultations uh, for you know half an hour just talking about where you are in the process whether you need us, whether you don't need us, right? Um, and uh, you know, I just I'd love to talk to people. So, great time.
0: Well, again, we've been speaking with Stuart Horwitz, author of Book Architecture: How to Plot and Outline Without Using a Formula. If you're a writer and you're interested, go buy a copy of Book Architecture today. And Stuart, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thank thanks so much for having me, Jeff.
0: Great.